You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. It's been a crazy ride the past seven years, but the past seven years have been the best seven years of my life, including 2020. And I say that sincerely because my life was so small before I got here that I was living life by myself, for myself. I came here on my second date with a beautiful woman that introduced me to this church. And I came on a shredder Sunday. And that shredder Sunday, I shredded playing small. So I'll tell you, in in the first year that I was here, God did what takes a lot of years for a lot of people, and God has just sped up the time. So if you're new here and you're just waiting for God to move, I believe that there is something for you today. Um, well, come with you're you're in your Bibles, Matthew twenty five fourteen, uh, the parable of the talents. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled his accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents and look, I've gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me these two talents, and look, I have gained more, two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then... Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. So I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For anyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And the the Lord cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and mashing of teeth. 
So encouraging word for all of you this morning. <laughs> Some people say, gosh, that's so harsh. It's not like he just squandered the money. I mean, parable of the prodigal son, that guy squandered all the money. And his father received him back with tears and a party. All this guy did was bury it. And he gave it back to him. That's so mean. <laughs> but I need you guys to understand that ever since Eden, the enemy has tried to convince man that what will bring a curse is an opportunity and that God-given opportunities are actually a curse. And you see that in the garden where the serpent convinced the man and the woman that the one thing in the entire garden that would bring a curse on them was an incredible opportunity for them to be like God. And here in this story, you see the servant who is deceived about the nature of his master and that he sees this great opportunity that the master entrusted him with that it says in the story that he was capable of doing, each according to his ability, right? It wasn't like he lacked ability. He just had a wrong view of the master and he buried it in the ground. That he was actually able to fulfill it and, and he was convinced that that opportunity was a curse. And there's some of you that have been looking at this year as a curse. And I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to play down how awful some of the things that have happened in 2020 have been for people. I'm not saying that it hasn't been hard, but I'm saying from what I've seen in this church, I have seen a lot of people step into literally their best year ever in the middle of 2020. I don't know how many of you guys know the Beachlers, but the Beachlers are seriously having their best year ever. They launched this incredibly successful business. They're busy all the time, and they just gave birth to this beautiful, beautiful, incredible baby girl. I, every time I open Facebook, I see another couple announcing a pregnancy. I mean, I swear, there must be like 50 people that are pregnant with children right now at this church. It's so nuts. But what you believe, you'll see, and what you see and believe about the situation will just get multiplied. And it's the enemy that says that opportunities are curses. And some people have seized great opportunities this year because they've seen it as an opportunity and not like I need to go hide. So anyway, I like to know what I'm reading. And I was curious about the word talent. So I looked it up in the dictionary. And a talent in, in the way that we use it in our culture is typically seen as a natural ability or skill. A gift, a knack, a capacity, a genius, a brilliance, a skill, some kind of artistry. But that's not the way the word started out. The, only, the way the word came into our culture was through this parable. Before this parable, Talent always referred to a weight of measurement for precious metals like gold, and a talent is about 90 pounds. So by today's standard, a talent of gold is worth about $2.8 million. And I'm sure there's some of you that are thinking, I could probably do a lot with $2.8 million right now, right? So 
Talent entered the modern language through this parable, and saying someone's talented doesn't just mean they have a special ability. It actually means that there is a weight of responsibility to steward that ability well, to trade with it, to create increase, not to hide it or to bury it in the ground. Talent requires a response. And we're told that each servant was given a talent in accordance with his ability. But it was his, it was on him to respond. And the word responsibility in this case literally means my ability to respond to the, the, the my response to the ability that God has put inside of me. So I can sense that I'm getting some looks and I bet that there's a few people that are thinking that there's some inequality going on in this story. Why did he get one and the other guy got five? <laughs> but it says each according to his ability, right? Some people look at this story and say, God is so unjust. But I'm going to tell you that God is merciful. Because if you have ever been given an a responsibility to do something that was out of your ability to actually respond to well, that weight will crush your spirit. And I'll tell you that when God started growing me and started getting me out from a, away from my past, he started giving me little bits of opportunity for me to steward. And as I stewarded them well, I was given more. But if he had given me all of it right at the, the beginning, I would have been crushed and like out the door before, before I even started. So, you know, if, if you've got that thought though, that maybe God isn't fair, maybe God isn't just, maybe God is harsh, maybe he's not nice, maybe he's mean, whatever it is that you're hiding in there, if you're one foot in and one foot out of church because you've got this idea that God isn't good, I just want to encourage you. Find a mature, wise person and sit down with them and have the conversations. Ask the questions because those questions I've found don't go away when they're not asked. They will just fester inside of you, but they will cause you to go away when you would have been really, your life would have really taken off had you just stayed. And I know that there are people in this church that are willing to sit down and have those conversations. And they're ones that need to be had. So I encourage you, please, even, even when you're getting prayed for today, or if you came here with people and you're like, gosh, I don't know, I'm really, this is really hard for me. Talk to somebody about it. And if you're one that is getting talked to and you don't have an answer, don't make one up. I'm just saying, please, please take that person and connect them with somebody that can answer those questions well. So the biggest questions that we ask in life, and this is true for just about every human being, the big three are why do I exist? What's the point of being alive? And what happens after? And those are big questions. There were big questions for me. Like I, I wondered for a long time, what, what am I supposed to be doing? 
And I have a lot in my past that pulled me this way and that way, things that I thought I was disqualified from and I really didn't know what to do and I swear that question would keep me up at night of what am I supposed to do? Why was I built here? What is all of this stuff that I've been given? You know, it just feels overwhelming to me. And I'll tell you that everybody asks those questions but the only way of finding an answer to that question is to find, if you wanna know why you were created, you need to know your creator. And I know that that's not a popular answer right now for a lot of people, especially in this day and time, because moral relativity has overtaken the Bible for what people believe. And it's like, people believe that there's not one truth. It's, well, this is my truth. And in 2020, it's like, well, your truth is infringing on my truth. And if you don't change your truth, I'm gonna cancel you. So it seems like being a good person in 2020 is about not rocking the boat. Being nice, not being too offensive, not stirring the pot. Maybe you'll get extra bonus points if you're helpful every once in a while, but only helpful enough that you don't offend anybody. You know, and I've, I've heard well-meaning people say when asked those questions, what's the point of being alive? Why do I exist? What happens after? I've heard people say, well, it doesn't matter as long as you're a good person. And I've heard people referred to ones that had great talent entrusted to them. That out of fear of being judged, out of fear of being rejected, out of fear of outshining the people around them, that they've shrunk back. And I've heard people say about those people, oh, he's just got a heart of gold. Never wants to take the spotlight. Yeah, heart of gold. So my message today is called Heart of Gold. And I want to tell you that God has had me on a journey with this message. I started writing it in 2017. The second time I was asked to preach, I had this message and I got all the way almost done with it. I had the slides designed, all of it. And two days before I'm supposed to preach, God's like, ah, not for today, save it for later. And then Pastor Becky called me three or four weeks ago and asked me if I could preach on Shredder Sunday. And God said, dig up that message. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he's had me on a journey and we're gonna go on a little journey. Are you with me? Okay, okay. So how many of you guys know Ezekiel 36, 26? God says, Quach is not here, so she, you know, anyway. So God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Last time I checked, gold was a stone. So God says, I'll give you a new spirit, and will give you a new heart. I will give you a heart of flesh. Because gold's not meant to be in your heart. God's, gold's meant to be in your hands. Blood is meant to be in your heart. Gold is meant to be in your hands. And you can look at the master and the servant and, and you know, he had gold to trade with, not to bury. Servant buried the gold. Moral relativism, what's wrong with that? The servant thought the master was a hard man who would be mad if he lost his gold. He was only doing what he thought was good. Give him a break. 
Let me put this to you plainly. Blood belongs in your heart and gold belongs in your hands. Blood is meant to be in your heart. Gold is meant to be in your hands so you can trade with it, so you can create increase, so you can bring opportunity to others. If you have buried your purpose in the ground, if you have hidden your talent away under the guise of being humble or wanting to fit in or not wanting to shine too brightly for fear of being rejected by your peers, you are not being humble. You are being wicked. If you bury your gold in your heart, you will have blood on your hands. And the most, the most awful part about that is that it will be your blood. Because God doesn't mean to oppress you by the gold that he's put in you to trade with. He means to free you with it, to give you your best life, to give you purpose, to give you meaning, and also to use your life to bring blessing to other people. When you bury that away, you kill that seed, that gold, that beauty, that potential, that God-given thing in you that he uniquely created and wanted to express through you. And you also kill the opportunity that you were meant to give to other people. And I'm telling you that when you start to dig up that gold and start to give it away, start to live in it, start to trade with it, start to increase with it, that's when your life comes alive and that's when you start to be filled with purpose. And I'm telling you, this was my, this is my story. This is like a life message for me because I lived small for a very, very long time. I was afraid to actually live out those God-sized dreams in me. And I'll tell you my greatest fear in stepping into them, I knew that I had ability. I knew that I was blessed with ability. And I'm not saying that self-righteously, I'm saying that because I knew that it was inside of me and there was this holy angst in me that it wasn't getting out. But I was so scared if I actually lived in the fullness of what God created me to live in. If I actually fully expressed that, then my greatest fear would also have the opportunity to be realized. Because if I really went there, if I really laid it all down, if I really just put it all down on the field and I failed, then I would know, and so would everybody else, that I was deeply, permanently, and irrevocably flawed. And I would be rejected, abandoned, and alone. And I was so terrified of that happening that I just stuffed it down for a really, really long time and made up stories about why my situations in my life had disqualified me from ever fully stepping into it. And I had good excuses. I was born as the product of adultery. When I tried to seek out a relationship with my father, I was rejected. I have a wonderful, beautiful man that married my mom and he adopted me, but I was adopted so I felt like I was different. I, you know, we find so much of our identity in our relationship with our father. And when that relationship is broken, man, it can do a number on so many parts of our lives, including the way that we see our heavenly father. So as a, as a 12 year old child, I turned to drugs and alcohol and I became like full blown alcoholic drug addict. My life was an absolute mess, almost died several times. And by the grace of God, I was delivered from that. But while I was in it, I believed that lie that nobody ever really recovers. 
And even when I was physically sober, saved from the grips of active addiction, I wondered, will I ever fit into normal society? You know, I had, uh, when I got sober, I had an eating disorder, I had workaholism, I had ADD, I had, uh, God, what else? I had crippling anxiety. I had a bunch of things that I thought I needed to be heavily medicated for. I developed sex addiction, porn addiction, and you know, you get into that and the little enemy will be chirping in your ear. You're never gonna be faithful. You've done so much, you've disqualified yourself from ever being a husband or a father. I'd been in homosexual relationships, bisexual relationships, I was a mess. And on top of all of it, I had bad credit. doesn't sound like much, but I mean, I had to pay cash for everything. And I was constantly under this weight of, I'm not qualified. All my friends were so successful. And I'm like, I've got like a 490 credit score. I'm a friggin' mess financially. I have no idea how to save. I know I have no idea how to do any of it. And it wasn't like I, I had like a ton of debt or anything. I just was irresponsible and had like, I never had established credit and I had believed those lies wow, and I had just been under. But then I heard the gospel. In 2010, I heard, or 20, 2005, I heard the gospel preached and I had some disagreements. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this whole relationship, I believe it's the only way it can work, but like virgin birth, resurrection, creationism versus evolution. I mean, come on, come on. I've watched the Discovery Channel. I like Carl Sagan, come on. Like, and on Easter of 2010, God dealt with me in all of those and I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and it completely changed my mind. It unraveled all of my intellectual pride, all my religious prejudice, and I really started walking with God. And I knew I needed to get baptized. I knew I needed to get discipled. I knew I needed to be in a community of people that would help me grow in my walk. And, it, and I did all of that stuff. And so when I came here on Shredder Sunday three years ago, I'm sorry, when I came here on Shredder Sunday seven years ago, I'd been walking with God really for three years. And a lot of that junk in my past, he had healed those wounds. He had delivered me from all of that brokenness. I had been delivered from there, but I had not yet been delivered to the promised land. And I came here on my second date with this beautiful, amazing, godly woman. And God had done a work in me that I actually felt like it was okay to have a wonderful woman like this in my life and that it might actually lead somewhere. And I shredded that little piece of paper saying that I wasn't going to play small anymore. And I'll tell you, in the last seven years, God has done a work in my life. That Jenny and I, we did everything right when we were dating. We didn't have any overnights, not like sort of, but not quite. We didn't do any of that. We honored each other and we honored God and God blessed it. And in one year from coming here, we dated for five months, were engaged for five months, got married in the first month of our marriage. We got pregnant with my daughter, Ella. We paid cash for the wedding, not because I had bad credit, but because I could afford to. <laughs> During that whole process, like I remodeled our house to welcome her 
into it, I grew more relationally, I grew more spiritually, I grew more physically, I was stretched more in that year than I ever had been in my entire life. And on the one year anniversary of me coming to this church, it was a Shredder Sunday just like this, and they showed a video advertising a new play that they were doing that year called Hero. And I'll tell you, I've had a four octave range and perfect pitch since I was a little kid, I can sing. But I wouldn't sing in front of people because when I was nine years old, I had something spoken over me that brought a lot of shame with it. And so I just buried that gift. But God had given me little things to do over the course of the first year that I was here. When I got here, it was like, man, grab a shovel. Grab a shovel and start digging up that gold. And by the way, while you're doing that, come to men's prayer, sign up for Emerge, get on a team, join a connect group, go to DNA course, start serving in a ministry, get in the middle of this so you have people around you that have gone before you that can encourage you along this path so you can grow in a healthy way. And I did all those things and in one year I came here and then there's this video and I'm watching this being like, I know I can sing and I'm seeing that cross put in the ground and God was like, you are going to be on that cross. You need to, you need to audition. And it was the scariest thing. I've done some scary, scary stuff in my life and I promise you that was the scariest thing I had ever done was to stand in front of Pastor Leanne and Pastor Becky and Pastor Andy and Stephen Lafada who is directing the show and sing, sing Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder acapella to them. And you know, Becky just wears her emotion on her face. And there were some people that had gone before me that weren't the greatest. And she was really just, she looked terrified when I stepped up there and said that I didn't have a karaoke backing track that I was gonna sing acapella. And I'd printed out the lyrics on a, a piece of paper, even though I knew the song by heart, heart, just in case I got nervous, I could hide behind them. And as I started to take the lyrics out of my pocket, the Holy Spirit said, are you really gonna do that? You really gonna bring 70%? Haven't I brought you this far? Because your 70% is gonna look like somebody else's 150%, but you're gonna know how much you, you didn't bring. And you're always gonna know that. So why don't you just shove that paper back in your pocket and trust me in this? And I did. And I brought everything I had. And I was terrified. I mean, that, that first note was, was scarier than jumping out of a plane. But four or five notes in, I'm like, man, I got this. And I could see Andy smiling at me. I could see Pastor Becky smiling at me. I could see Pastor Leanne smiling at me because I wasn't hiding behind anything and I could actually see the expressions in their face and I knew I had it. And at the end of it, Pastor Andy looked at me and he's like, where have you been? And Pastor Becky, who has gone from looking terrified to looking overjoyed, is like, hey, can you grow a beard? <laughs> and then Pastor Leanne's like, well, this is gonna sound kind of strange, but how would you feel about being bloodied and beaten in front of like seven or 800 people for like five or six nights in a row in your underwear? <laughs> possibly while singing a rock ballad, maybe probably actually definitely while singing a rock ballad. <laughs> and I knew what she was asking and I said, um, okay. 
and I, I just want to finish, and I know I've gone a couple of minutes over, but I really, I really, really, really want to get get to this point because I know that there are a lot of people in churches that never really hear the gospel. They never really hear what the cross is as that place of exchange. And I want to tell you that, you know, a lot of Christians try to like downplay the gospel and they won't even use the word guilt. They use the word conviction or I feel so convicted about something. But the only time that you feel convicted about something is when you're guilty. Being guilty and being convicted, it's the same friggin' word. Just call it what it is. And people will stand up on stage and act like guilt is some sort of bad thing. I need to tell you that guilt is a gift from God. Guilt is a gift from God because it's an invitation back to the cross. Guilt is not condemnation. Shame is condemnation and shame is the unintended result of guilt turned inward. If I try to manage my guilt on my own, I'm not built for that. Each according to his ability, I don't have that ability to manage my own guilt. I turn it in on myself and I give a foothold to the enemy and it becomes shame. Guilt is just the acknowledgement of I've done something wrong. Shame is this twisted thing that the enemy does that's from the pit of hell that says there is something permanently and irrevocably wrong with me. But the only way that I ever get my guilt taken away is when I come to the foot of the cross. And in a trial, there's several stages to a trial. The first stage is you get arrested. And once you're arrested, you're brought into court and the charges are read. And then you're, you have an arraignment and you can post bail. And that's as far as some people ever get. Even some Christians that are like God-believing Christians, that's as far as they ever get because they don't know the truth and the reality of what they need to do next. So they post bail and then they run. And in some weird religious way, try to make themselves perfect or to atone for their guilt. And there is no atoning for my guilt and there is not one in the entire world that is not guilty. I need to actually come to my sentencing hearing, which is the sixth part of the process, stand before the judge guilty. Because that's when Christ steps in and he approaches the bench and says, I have already fulfilled this sentence. This man's free to go. If I don't ever show up for the sentencing, I don't ever get the opportunity to truly be set free. And even though there was all this forgiveness there for me, an unlimited amount of forgiveness, more forgiveness than I could ever use up, there is more room at the foot of the cross than there is even potential for me to fail in this lifetime. Then when he paid, when he fulfilled my sentence, it wasn't my sentence from the past, it was the past, the present, and the future. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. When Jesus told the people that were caught in sin, when he healed them, he told them to go and sin no more. He didn't say, I've settled your accounts once, now don't screw it up. He said, I've actually set you free from the thing that's held you in bondage. You are now free to go and you don't ever, ever, ever have to come back to this thing that's kept you in bondage again. You are free. And there's people that need to get through that freedom first before they can ever start to deal with the gold. Because if I don't think I'm 
free in that way, I will never be free enough to start to shine in the way that God created me to shine. So I wanna pray for three groups of people today. That the first group, and I'll call the ministry team forward and we can do our shredding in a minute. But there are some of you who have been burying your talent. And when I started talking about it this morning, it stirred something up in you. And I wanna tell you that thing that was stirred up in you is the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to start trading with that gold that's been inside of you. And I don't think it's, a, it's an accident that Jesus used the word talent either because it's heavy. A talent is 90 pounds. For the guy that had five talents, he had 450 pounds to lug around and like dragging 450 pounds to the marketplace is a lot of weight to carry. He would have needed help. And there's some of you that are, don't know what to do with the talent that you've been entrusted with and you need help. And your talent is actually going to bring an opportunity to others that you have been blessed so you can be a blessing to others. And sometimes that blessing comes in the form of partnership with others. I know I would not be where I'm at in my life if I didn't have a community around me. If I didn't have the beautiful, amazing, transparent, loving, giving community of this church, I would be nowhere like I am today. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been burying your talent in the ground, you need to start digging it up and bring people around you, involve them in that journey. If you came to church with people today, maybe talk to them about it and say, look, I've got this thing and I just don't know what to do with it, but I really, it's just burning in me. So there's some of you that this year you need to write, I'm gonna stop playing small, I'm gonna stop hedging my bets, I'm gonna ask God to show me what to do with the gold that he entrusted me with. And there's also some of you who know you've been, you were guilty and you've been trying to do it on your own and you've been running away from the cross. You've posted bail and you've just been running away from the cross and you need to run back towards it. Jesus is the only one who can shred your sentence and shred your shame, but he can't do it while you're hiding out in your seat pretending that everything's good. You need community. You can't get fully healed in isolation. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. As a member of the body, I have no ability to forgive you. Forgiveness comes through Jesus but he's given all of us the ministry of healing and you cannot get fully healed if you're out, in out of community. You can have God, but not have community. And if you only have God and don't have community, you're missing out. And there are so many Christians that have been saved for eternity, but no, have no idea how to call heaven down to earth. Christ didn't come and die for us to be saved someday and just to like tread water while we're here on earth, he meant for us to live these amazing, vibrant, full lives. And if you are not living that way, if you're hiding from your past, if you need to get free, you need to confess that to someone, come to the cross, pick up the, the forgiveness and the freedom that's been given to you. And so maybe there's things that you need to shred of old mindsets, beliefs that you've had about God, beliefs that you've had about 
yourself, your circumstances, all of that, write it down and shred it. And the final group that I wanna pray for today is that group that you've been in church for a long time, but 2020 has just been tough for you. And you have just felt under, not over, that you have been the tail and not the head, that you have been the opposite of all of God's promises, that you've just felt this heaviness about you, but you've also felt that because you've been walking with God for so long, that you can't come forward because somebody else needs prayer more than you, that you're not deserving of it, that you'll just deal with it on your own, and gosh, you've been walking with him for so long that you really should be able to deal with it now. But I wanna tell you that that is a lie of the devil. The truth is, the Bible says that God knows every single head on your hair, that he's counted them all. That every tear that you've ever shed, that he's collected in a jar, not to taunt you with, but because he cares. That your pain actually means something to him, that he sees you. And that if you will bring that pain to him, he will take those tears and he will turn them into joy and he'll turn them into glory. Not just for you, but for others. He will take your tears of mourning and he will give you joy. But you have to give it to him. And so if you've been, if you're one of those three people, will everybody bow their head and close their eyes? I wanna pray for, for all of you. But if you fall into one of those three categories, if you've been playing small, burying your talent in the ground, afraid to really step out into the fullness of what you know God has for you, or if you're the one that has had all of this stuff that you maybe have been in church for a while or maybe you're brand new, but you've never really dealt with it, you've never gone to that place of exchange and you've never been truly set free. Or maybe you have been at one point, but there's stuff that's built up. Or you're that third person that's just felt, does God really see me? Or maybe I'm not worthy of receiving everything that he has for me. I should just let somebody else have a go and, and just, I, I'll deal with this on my own. If you're in one of those three categories, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, two, three. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Wow, God bless you, 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 hands all. Over. God bless you. 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 Way in the back. God bless you. 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 God sees all of you. God bless you. And while heads are heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, will everybody join me in this prayer? I want everybody that raised their hand to know that they are not alone. And I mean, seriously, like three quarters of the room raised their hands. So you're not alone in this. But you can just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you so loved me that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, on a rescue mission to save my life. I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. I thank you that your death on the cross has wiped away all my sin, past, present, and future. I thank you that you fulfilled my sentence so I could be set free. 
Today I declare I am forgiven, clean, washed, brand new, and born again. I declare that heaven is my home, that God is my Father, and I ask you today, show me the gold. Show me the talents that you've put inside me. Show me how to use them in a way that would bless others, fulfill me, and bring you glory. And God, let your love overcome my fear. Get me out of my comfort zone and help me live a life that when I get to heaven, I'll arrive exhausted, greeted by you, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.